2: Welcome back to bird's eye view when it comes to the orioles this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion today is february 9th 2015 and this is episode 108 my name is jake english and i'm here as always riding on the coattails of one mr scott magnus if you're listening to my voice right now you're most likely doing so on our website which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com which has a fresh clean new look please go check it out it's also possible that you found us in the Baltimore Sports Report Network, of which we are proud members. Be sure to check out all the great shows on Baltimore Sports Report Network, including Baltimore Sports Today, which is BSR's daily podcast. You can get this show on lots of third-party platforms like Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and if you really must, that thing that Apple has called the iTunes. And if you're there, please give us a rating, give us a review, let us know what you think of the show. It really helps us out. Last, it's important— you can find us on social media in lots of places, but the best place to find us is on Twitter, where we tweet, at View B-A-L. And with that, Scotty, it's time for the most important part of the program, and that, as you know, is the drink of the week. What is it that you're drinking?
3: Jake, today I'm drinking a new brewery that I've never had before. It's called a Red Shedman Farm Brewery and Hop Yard. It's in Mount Airy, and it's called a Pump House IPA. Comes in Pounders. Not bad. Not bad at all.
2: All right. I can't wait to rip one out of your fridge. Yes. I'm drinking a uh, Heavy Seas Loose Cannon, which, as you know, is their IPA. Um, it's probably m- one of my top five favorite beers. Yes, you drink that pretty regularly. Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, want to catch up with us throughout the week as far as what what our drinks of the week are, you can find us on Untapped. You can find me at JakeE4025, and you can find Scott at uh, MAGN8606. And with that, Scott, let's dive directly into the twat.
3: This week on the Twitter first one comes to whether the baseball writers of america agree or not um giants are interested in finding an instruction role for barry bonds this comes from hardball talk you can follow them at hardball talk jake Thoughts about Barry Bonds kind of re-entering into the Major League Baseball picture?
2: Uh, you know, I've evolved greatly on my feelings toward Barry Bonds. Uh, right right when he retired, you know, I was dead set against him being recognized for uh, what he unfortunately mathematically is, which is the home run king of Major League Baseball. Uh, look, he was a gifted guy, a great athlete, and all of the... Uh, PEDs aside, he, he knows a thing or two about baseball, which he showed throughout his career before it was obvious that he was uh, on the juice. So I say uh, it's time to welcome him and others of that generation with open arms. Imagine that. Jay can actually change his opinion over time. It's yeah. an amazing thing. Yeah, I think if you go back and listen to uh, episodes of this show from 2012, first of all, you should not. No, But I, I probably had a much different opinion at the time. All right, next on the twat, we've got a tweet from uh, Kristen Hudak, who, uh, of course, is the Orioles' director of public relations. Um, she tweets at Kristen M. Hudak. Um, the tweet goes as follows, Pretty awesome, at simply AJ10, who, as you know, is Adam Jones, crossword hit. And if you look, there's a picture of, sure enough, the L.A. crossword, uh, LA Times crossword puzzle, and the, uh, the clue is four-time all-star Oriole outfielder Jones. Four letters.
3: Mm, that's a tough one.
2: I'm going to need another hint. Yeah, that's all I got. Oh, here's a hint. Something happened on Twitter this week that is worth mentioning with that player. Scotty, take it away. Adam Jones,
3: create a little bit of a kerfuffle, kerfuffle, whatever you want to call it. but snuffle kerfuffle. snuffle yeah. Yikes. Go yeah. on. Um, Adam Jones posts, of course, at SimplyAJ10. He posts on Saturday, I'm just going to start going to Peter, screw the middlemen. Now, we could go through this and spend, you know, countless hours and minutes on this. But we're not going to do that. We recommend everyone go to Baltimore Sports today. Listen to Zach Wilt and Javi Burns talk and analyze everything between the
2: difference between middle men and middle man. And just
3: they'll give you the whole breakdown of that
2: tweet. There was a lot going on in that in in 140 characters. That, that, that That was a dense tweet. It's not even 140 characters. It's like 50 characters. So, all right. I have to get something off my chest here. Oh, baby. How is this even possible? I, think I know Why this is, going. is this allowed in today's game? I thought that we were beyond this, Scott. I thought that we had evolved as a society, as a league. I thought that Major League Baseball had made it clear that their stance on this was irresolute. Well, give us the news because I think I have the answer. All right. This comes from John Heyman. He tweets at John Heyman CBS. The tweet is as follows. Kevin Gregg gets $1.5 million base in Red's Miner's Deal, plus incentives for games and games finished. Scott, how does this happen? All right, so I'm going to break it down for you, Jake. It's
3: pretty obvious. Um, Jake, what is your nickname for Kevin Gregg? Uh, The Protester. Okay. So, Jake... Um as the protester, you were to go to the mound. you were to pour gasoline on yourself and you were like to match. Jake, as you have noticed, gasoline prices have dropped significantly over the past few months. Oh God, you're so, so gasoline right. is now completely affordable for people. so now gasoline is being able to be used again to basically light yourself on fire. God, you were so right.
2: <laughs> you worked on that, didn't you?
3: thanks a lot, Obama. <laughs> um next one comes to it's on like Donkey Kong. Uh, Speaking about Jabby Burns and myself, we had uh, a a little bet going right now. Um, Jabby is a big fan of Jonathan Scope, like a really big fan of Jonathan Scope, and I'm a big fan of Jonathan Scope as well. I think he's going to have a good year. But Mr. Burns believes that uh, Jonathan Scope is going to hit more home runs than uh, Nelson Cruz i'm gonna have to disagree so i'm gonna go with whoa nelly to hit more home runs and uh let's just say there's drinks at the end of this year whoever wins so uh i'm looking forward to a nice gin and tonic tanqueray or uh, maybe i'll go a little bit fancier but um if mr burns wins i think he'll be popping open some tito's vodka way to read that tweet
2: by the way give us the next one all right Uh,
3: This is a great article on uh, Baseball Prospectus. It was written by Ryan Parker. You should be following him at R.A. Parker. Tweet goes as Going Yard is back at Baseball Pro. Baseball Pro, of course, is Baseball Prospectus. Look at what went wrong for Chris Davis in 2014. Folks, this was a great article. If you're not subscribed to Baseball Prospectus and you're not, Uh, you know, a premium user, you should go out and do it. It is only $10. And they actually have a great deal right now that if you register through DraftKings, you can get $10 deposited into DraftKings and also get a Baseball Prospectus article. It's a great thing to do. And also, you can be helping a friend of the program in Jeff Long, who uh, write for Baseball Prospectus as well.
2: Absolutely. I, I look forward to reading that article as soon as I subscribe, which I'm planning on doing this week. Yes. All right. The last thing that we're going to get to here in the twat is uh, it's a bit of a throwback. And I, and I wish that I had uh, Jonah Hill to point that uh, because it's all about
3: OBP or get about on getting
2: on base. Here's a, a tweet from the stirrups now account Mm. which uh, tweets at uniform critic it says Moneyball back in 1966 sports illustrated shows obp leaders toward the end of july and in the american league coming in first with a 328 obp none other than frank robinson
3: that's actually a 429 the 328 is his average the average yep so 429 is his on base percentage
2: so baltimore has one two three four Four leaders in the top ten. That is correct. On base percentage, nobody, nobody less than three sixty-five. You're right. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. If only we could get back to that. Yeah, we, a little, a little bit of that, and the three-run home run. Yeah. Like I said, we're not big on, uh, on
3: on small ball, but you know, it's interesting that you know, on base percentage and certain statistics were even being looked at back in the 1960s. I think it's a good opportunity for us to take a look at some modern day statistics. We've got a guest coming in that's going to break down some statistical analysis on the Orioles for 2015. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. <unnecessarily>
0: mm-hmm. zip, 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 zip. I got a guy. And she's real heavy. And every time I see her, I just flip
1: I love her and she loves me. She's my sense of and She's a bummer full of fur, she just love by everyone's zip. zip.
2: You know, Scott, now is the time. Now is the time when projections are being made and being released all the time. And now with uh, most of free agency completed, that with uh, James Shield signing with the Padres today, it's time for us to look at projections about the Orioles now the Orioles have uh, have outperformed these projections uh, over the last couple of years leading to some quotes from Buck Showalter saying yep they're picking us last again which is right where we want to be you know we decided to go out and we decided to get one of the best those guys as they're called in and Dan Zamborski he, he's run the projections sh- just system called zips um, since right before the 2003 season uh, he's a leading Scott and I know you're familiar with this Sabre matrician. i think I think that's the the word with I'm, all with I'm, all the numbers I, I'm a very big fan of Dan's yes <laughs> he's a saber uh, he's an authority in the subject and he he can find him all over the place his work has been in the bo- uh, baseball think factory uh zips appears in fangraphs and he's also a writer for espn Dan thank you so much for joining us on bird's eye view
1: hey guys how's it going
2: it's it's going great so uh Dan we start off every single interview with the most
3: important question um Dan, what's your drink of the week? What are you drinking this week that is, you know, getting to your lips this week?
1: Well, actually, right now, I am not drinking anything uh, because my sister is having a wedding soon and I need to fit in my tailored suit.
3: Oh, okay. That's that's a good excuse. <laughs> so
1: so when, when I need to drop a little weight, uh, beer is a large part of my caloric intake, uh, so... Well, so I, I'm glad really that you're to able to it's, have the it's, willpower. It's very sad. I'm, now I'm thinking of it uh, because I drink a lot of Rochefort 10s. Okay. Now, now I'm thinking of of, of those, and now I'm, I'm kind of wistfully sad about the whole thing.
3: Well, I'm sorry that we have made you sad and we have had you reminisce about <sighs> the good times. But uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have a drink for you, and uh, it's mighty good. So, uh, Jake, why don't you go ahead and
1: rubs it in because now someone's doing my drinking for me. That's like drinking I could have had.
3: It's drinking via surrogate, basically. So I'm going to go ahead and take this sacrifice for you. So... Consider so, it a so gift.
1: Right now I'm I'm drinking a glass of milk mm. in uh an arrogant bastard ale glass.
3: Oh,
2: there you go. <laughs> it, if it makes you feel any better, feeling worse about yourself is a staple of people's interaction with this podcast. It is a <laughs> it is a very important part of the listening and and participation experience. Um now and
1: alcohol too. It it's <laughs> all rolls in together. Exactly,
2: exactly. Scott and I have this this ongoing dynamic on this podcast. Scott is very much a stat head, very much into uh, baseball advanced metrics. I myself am, I won't go as far as to call myself a Philistine. I, I appreciate uh, advanced metrics and the roles they have in the game, but I
3: also
2: like to uh, to kind of counterbalance that with what I can actually see with my own eyes. But for all of the idiots out there like me, I was hoping that you could just briefly explain what Zips is and how the projections are, are formulated.
1: Well, it's, it's obviously fairly complex, but it, at its basics, this is a projection system that uses large groups of similar players to the player in question in Major League history and tries to come up with an, an educated guess as to where the player is going. I mean, that's what it is on the simplest level. If you ever watch when there's a hurricane uh, in the Caribbean, and they show all those little cones, the cone of ignorance that the weather casters call it. It's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. You kind of know where the player is. You only have kind of a vague idea of where he's going. So it's really just trying to cut through the fog. Uh, I always joke that success for a projection system is to be the least horrible way of projecting the future.
3: I like that a lot. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, let's kind of go back into the aspect of predicting and relative success. And, you know, most Orioles fans have looked at the projections over the past few off seasons, and it hasn't lined out for just the Orioles for the past three seasons. And a lot of people basically said, hey, we're going to throw away all the projection models because they don't work for the Orioles. Um, but, however, in recent years, a lot of that has been due to some breakout seasons. Chris Davis in 2013, and then last year with Nelson Cruz and Steve Pierce in 2014. My question is that the Orioles are going to be another 90-plus win team again. Who has the best chance to have a breakout season and outperform their Zips numbers?
1: I, I think to an, to an extent it has to be Chris Davis again. Yeah. Now, I actually only really missed horribly in, in 2012. Yeah. I mean, I missed. Zips missed in, in 2014, but it only had them four games back in right. the third. That's not last. No. That's, that's better. I'm looking at it right now. 37% playoff chance. That's, that's. I mean, it's on the low side, but it's not.
3: No, that's you're right horrific. in the middle. Exactly. You're right in the middle, and you've got a good chance going into the season. I mean, I think anybody would be very happy with that, and I don't understand this aspect of people saying, Oh, the people are giving bad credit to the Orioles. But I think that's just a situation for anybody's team's fan is saying they don't respect our guys enough and I think that happens with any team. Go ahead, Jake, you've got a question. And
1: that that I'm oh, sorry.
3: No, go for it. Go ahead, Dan.
1: Oh, I said, that always kinda of stings me the worst because I'm from Baltimore. Yeah,
3: exactly. I grew up <laughs> an
1: Orioles fan. I grew up in I lived in Towson. I went to Towson High. I, I went to, I attended Loyola. Uh I'm an Orioles fan, so when you tell me you just, you just hate the Orioles. I bet you're a Yankees fan. I'm like, no, that's not true.
3: Well, we we uh, get that too, Dan, so don't feel too bad. We get like, you really don't love the Orioles. And we're like, we sit in the basement, our basement and talk Orioles baseball. I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, we're, we're those dorky guys that
2: want to get over here and drink some beer and talk baseball. I mean... You know the thing is, though, is that I feel like Baltimore fans are born with a chip on their shoulder, and and it's like they they are just convinced that there's this national conspiracy of media that is just out to get them, and the and the moment that you say anything other than the most flattering thing about their teams. They're going to, they're going to put you in that category. So Dan, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care where you're from. According to the, the large scale Baltimore fan, you are uh Bristol city, pal. You are just part of the the establishment. I'm going to get you a new tinfoil hat by the way. So we're gonna have to get a new role. <laughs> You know, we, we talk about this, this, uh, penchant of the Orioles to over, uh, uh, achieve according to the projections. And a lot of that's happened. And when I say a lot of that, I mean all of the winning. A lot of that has happened, uh, since the arrival of Buck Showalter. Um, and we, we've often talked on the past on this show about what the value of a manager is when you try to break it down to wins. Um, Do you think that a lot of this has, or any of this has to do with Buck Showalter, the the person? And do you think that somebody like Buck Showalter or or somebody like Joe Madden can really give us a model for what we should be attributing win values to managers in the future?
1: Uh, I I, I do think that he has a good bit to do with the success. I'm not quite sure it's something systemic that a projection system really can pick up. Uh, I mean, it didn't. It didn't uh, underestimate the Rangers when he managed them. I, I didn't do it in Arizona or New York or anything. Uh, but as I see it, the goal of a good manager isn't really to, to have, like, the best lineup on the field. I mean, the lineup is actually a fairly small factor uh, in most sabermetric looks at it. Really, the, the best thing a manager can do is just get the best players on the field and just kind of not trample on the team's success. Uh, don't yoast it basically Joe Torre in, in New York for a while and of course now I'm going to praise the Yankees
3: oh there you go man you're uh, so. just setting yourself up
1: <laughs> but Joe, Joe Torre was not a brilliant in-game tactician Joe Torre didn't have amazing forward ideas on running an offense or a pitching staff but he kind of massaged the egos and he stayed out of the way of his team's success and kept them from killing each other and that, that's what I want to see the most in a manager and Buck Showalter does a really good job with that uh, and so I'm very happy to have him the manager uh, actually pinpointing down the interplay of a manager and projections and overachieving that's that's really kind of hard to suss out
3: that's okay that's what that's what Jake likes he wants that aspect of kind of hard to put a number to it because then he can make something up to or towards it but I want to go to the numbers last year for 2014 and look at the, look at the second half of the Orioles and really what you know, fueled the Orioles kind of getting into the playoffs to a certain extent was the Orioles starting rotation posted some banner numbers. Uh, I'm not a big one for ERA, of course, but you know, they did post a 2.98 ERA um, in the second half, third in major league baseball. Um, But in terms of other stats like FIP, they were 12th in XFIP. They were 15th during this time and based on the Zip's projections, the regression is obviously predictive for the Orioles stars in 2015. But Orioles fans will be quick to state that that defense is being undervalued, and there's going to be some discrepancy between ERA and FIP. Can you explain why that assumption is or isn't right in regards to that ERA to FIP deviation?
1: Well, one thing. If you look at the, the FIP-ERA deviation, you're talking about more than half a run a game. Mm-hmm. The The defense was excellent. I don't think I'd call it ninety runs above average excellence. Right, <laughs> uh, that's that's a huge number, uh, and naturally defensive numbers have the same tendency to go towards the mean as other numbers in baseball do. Excellence, you know, as as seen on weedy Boxes and Madden Curses and SI Coverage Jinxes, greatness is fleeting, and it's hard to maintain certain levels of greatness. Uh, you can't expect. Uh, Manny Machado, he'll be an excellent defensive third baseman, but you can't expect him to be 30 runs better than average every year like he was in 2013, and things like that. Uh, There's a natural tendency to come back to the mean, uh, and the Orioles, they overperformed their FIP more than you'd expect from their defensive performance. So there's naturally going to be some regression there, and there's also the natural risk of a picture because essentially – As cynical as it is, because of the high collapse and injury rate of pictures, any picture that is above average at all has a lot more bad things that can happen than good things that can happen. They're they're very, um, to use technical terms, they're very skewed risk profiles. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the most extreme level, think of Mike Trout. Think of all the unexpected things that could happen to Mike Trout most of them will make his performance worse than actually better at this point. Uh, and that's kind of why you see regression toward the mean in any kind of projection system. Uh, and if you don't have regression to the mean in projection system, those projection systems tend to really overperform. I mean, excuse me, underperform. Right.
3: Um, yeah, I think there was a really good example in looking at the Boston projections, and Porcello, you know, basically had a much better um, war rating for through the Zips thing, and you basically had mentioned saying that's very... Odd and you know being that's not normal for it, but uh you know I, let's go and stick with starters in terms of the Orioles right now. Jake, why don't you go ahead and take this question?
2: Well, I guess my my question is this: you know, we have six starters. The Orioles have six starters who are, are pretty close to one another, and what's they're, they're all not very it. good. Is pretty much what it is. Let's <laughs> I was, I was try not so to I, go. I I,
1: I, w- I would disagree with that. Remember the the average starting picture ERA plus is about ninety six. Okay. When you have six starters that are in error bar range of league average, that's really good
3: yeah that's true.
1: Uh, there's no one that stands out as an ace, but I would love most teams would love to have six guys that are pretty likely to be league average players i mean even even Ubaldo Jimenez gets a league average projection uh, I th- uh, which of course is amazing, and Hunter Harvey actually had a projection that was surprisingly optimistic for a guy who's been so low in the minors so far.
2: I I think with our staff, what you'll probably find is that their, their peaks will be lower than, you know, those aces that are out there. But as a staff, the, the valleys in their production will be, will be a lot higher than, than some, some other teams. Um, and, and over the, the long haul of that, uh, that 162 game season, that's probably what you'd prefer than a really uneven season. Um, but with this log jam, of starters and with guys like Bundy, um, you know, knocking on the door to get there in, in the late season. Uh, if, if you if you were running the Orioles, what do you do with this this group of starters? Who makes your top five?
1: Honestly, because of the, I would still. Bautista Jimenez, of course, was pretty lousy last year, but he also has the most interesting upside uh, of the back of the rotation. I probably would go with the Tillman Chen Gosman Norris Jimenez rotation. Uh, there'd be plenty of opportunity for Gonzalez to start, uh, because you know, bad things happen to pictures all the time.
3: Right. Um, and not it, to mention Miguel Gonzalez has an option. True. Yeah. Uh
1: it's and, and uh this depth is something that I do try to work into the way I simulate seasons with zips. Uh I actually simulate using a Monte Carlo simulation, uh kind of simulated seasons where I actually simulate playing time of starters so that uh there's always a projected chance of, of, of an ace starter breaking down and filling in the, uh, those missing innings with the next options. And I think that's one of the reasons why Zips, while still missing low on the Orioles, actually did better than some of the other projection systems. Which actually had them below 500 uh, because of that depth. Uh, I mean, you guys talk about that depth, and that, that, that's real value there, having a dependable league average rotation with lots of depth. I mean, there's a lot of value in that.
3: I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, that was one of the things, you know, I think Jeff Bassan has actually posted about this on Fangraphs um, and specifically saying to the longings of, uh, you know, the Orioles have done a really good job of minimizing the amount of negative war players that have been on their roster for a certain given period of time. So keeping, you know, league average, but just slightly above positive players on their team and, you know, minimizing damage done to their team is, you know, a way to oftentimes see success over the long term of an entire season. When that hits the playoffs, that might be a different situation. But from an entire season standpoint, it's a pretty good way to run a a roster, especially in a small market um, such as Baltimore. Um, Let me kind of go back and let me kind of tie in something to sabermetric, but also kind of childhood. And you know, as a kid, you know, we always used to collect baseball cards back. Um, And there's you know a situation where you know we've got the new age statistics out there if you had the opportunity to go ahead and re- redesign the back of like a tops or a Fleer baseball card, um, which three stack categories are you looking to uh, pick for position players? And which three are you looking to pick for pitchers to put on the back of a baseball card?
1: You know, I probably wouldn't change things too much. I would want to include, you know, on base percentage and slugging percentage, which is frequently there anyway. Uh, and I would like to have sips on picture baseball cards. But there's also something elegant about seeing the line. If you understand that OPS is a good, rough estimate of a player's offensive ability, it doesn't hurt you to see their other things. I mean, stats tell stories. Uh, not every stat necessarily needs to be there as a, as a complete uh, evaluative tool. Uh, like, take Joe Carter. Uh, Say you're looking at a baseball card from the year before he signed with the Orioles. I don't want to remember that, but it's the example I'm going with.
2: It was the dark um, period. You don't need to remember. Okay.
1: <laughs> that, that was a dark winter. You know, the Charlton, Beck Guillen, Carter winter. That was not a pleasant winter. But uh, when he was at Toronto the year before, I mean, if you know he had a 683 OPS and a 77 OPS plus, you already know he wasn't a good... Um, you know, a, a good hitter for a designated hitter win uh, Toronto. So it doesn't really hurt to have, you know, the 21 home runs, the 100-whatever RBI he had, because even if those RBI are misleading, it still tells a more complete story of what Joe Carter the player was in 1997. He wasn't just a guy with a 683, 683 OPS. You could look at his stats and say, okay, he just has a 683 OPS, he was also a guy who was in the middle of the order. I mean, this is information. It's not necessarily going to make him look good or bad, but statistics also tell stories in addition to evaluating how good and how bad it is. So I wouldn't necessarily change baseball cards all that much because even statistics that don't do a lot tell stories. When a pitcher wins 18 games with an ERA near five, those 18 wins still tell a story of the type of season. The picture had even if the 18 wins doesn't reflect how well he pitched
3: all right jake so you get to keep your baseball cards congratulations
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm just i'm fascinated by that question because uh, you know again scott and i arguing uh shouting each other over the mics uh, for for all these weeks I, I sometimes wonder you know okay maybe the pitcher win is not that impressive of a statistics for the you know the depth of the story that it tells but i'm curious as, as to you know just looking at the quick compare what uh, what you know? Stats should replace it. So I'm actually I've, I was very impressed. I thought that was an elegant answer. Way way to go.
1: <laughs> okay, well I'm pleased. You, I mean, did you guys watch some yelling? I mean, I can I can yell too. I I have a temper and I'm we're, very talkative. I mean, we could find something that we can fight about. We are
3: going to bring temper. We're going to bring temper and depression into this next question because as an Orioles fan, you have seen some horrible, depressing teams so our question I to you a lot of yes fun. exactly trust us we're Orioles fans too we've seen some horrible teams Jake was at the 30 to 3 game so uh, you know he's got memories there um so we'd like to get you some insight of wh- what has been your favorite and least favorite teams over the years from the Baltimore Orioles and why do you feel that way
1: oh favorite teams easy 1989 Orioles. okay yep why not yep. team, why not that, team. that that was the best I mean, it was heartbreaking at the end. Uh, but I was 11 in 1989, uh, and I remember kind of every play of that 1988 season. I was there that opening day where we got blown before the 21 losses, where they got blown out by the Brewers, and they and they gave out the complimentary ca- uh, calendars. But the uh, game was so bad that they were all turned into paper airplanes, and they kept having to clear the field. But 89 was such an exciting season as, as a young baseball fan that wasn't completely jaded by, by the universe at that point. Um, <laughs> and so, and so I, I can close my eyes and I can think I mean, I can think of all the guys on, on that team. I can think of Mickey Tettleton hitting the home runs. I can think of Jeff Ballard somehow not allowing runs. Uh, he's one player that you don't want to look back on with the knowledge of fib okay um, but that that was such a fun team it was hardly the best team in my life as an orioles fan but it was it was the most exciting for me the most depressing i guess 1998 in a way
3: okay um, yeah. and we were
1: talking about that winter of depression uh, after 1997 1998 was that first kind of awful year i mean They were barely below 500, but it felt like such a bad year after the 1997 where they went and and won 98 games. Uh, And that was, at at the time, that was a really tough season to get through. And the seasons after that weren't as tough because really the story of the Orioles from like 1999 to 2010, it's just kind of this one bleak, meandering gray story that just kind of all blends together.
3: That's pretty true. The only one, the only year in that whole sketch that is kind of that stands out to me is 2005, where it was like there's a brief glimpse of hope, and then it's you know take him out to the woodshed and shoot him in the back. That of the just head. made it worse. Yeah. That just made it all <laughs> the the worse for
2: me. I, I refer to that that stretch of years that you just described as the dark period, uh, because you know you talked about being a young Orioles fan and and not quite jaded by life, but I feel like fans that were not quite old enough to really appreciate the 1989 series uh, season um, and, and who were not expecting to have winning baseball ripped away from them for 14 years after 1997 happened. I, I think that that dark period is probably pretty uh, a pretty good way to make people jaded like like you know the the baseball world should be the place that you escape for joy and yet all it is is this bringer of doom and gloom of for your your sundays as you while away but hey at least we have beer yeah. oh wait sorry dan
1: <laughs> yeah but but all but all those i mean all those seasons that run together you someone will ask you about a team you're just saying okay was the year they had Davy cruz or was that the lousy year that they had the rotting corpse of sammy sosa yep Which one was it that, that's, it just all runs together like that, unfortunately.
2: They're, they're interchangeable. Exactly. All right. You, we, you said that you would do yelling, you, you said that you do passion. And this is, this is where that comes in. So I need you to clear your mind. I need you to take a deep breath because this is where things okay. might get ugly.
1: All right. I'm taking a deep breath. Cleansing
2: breath. All right. Dan, I'm going to ask you this once and I'm going to okay. get an answer from you almost straight away. The question is this beetles or stones?
1: Stones, oh, this is where the, yelling, this, starts. This is where the yelling, Dan, yelling starts. How could you? How could you? <laughs> we
2: respected you from afar. We thought we Let's knew start. you. Ah,
1: oh. but okay. Well, we're. Not, I hope we're not talking like current Stones, where Mick Jagger kind of no 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 no, no. kind of wheel his. We're not, you know, okay. As long as we're not, we're not talking current we're not Stones. that no, no, I love the Beatles too, but That's for that. some reason, I just love the Stones a tiny bit more.
3: That's what everyone keeps telling us is they just kind of like the Stens a little bit more. And you know what? They're always wrong. I mean, it's just as simple as that. So, oh, oh.
1: but, 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 the, but in truth, there's, there's a band at that time that I like a little better than both of them. Oh,
3: okay. Let's hear this.
1: The kinks. Okay. I love the kinks.
3: The kinks are very good. You're right. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on tonight. You know, we really had a good time talking to you about, you know, all the Orioles and stuff. And, you know, uh, we're looking forward to another great season for the Orioles. You know, from the bottom of your heart, you know what are you thinking for the Orioles? Do you think they have a chance to get back to the playoffs this year? Um, good chance, bad chance? What do you think?
1: From no, the- oh, they they absolutely have a good chance. I probably wouldn't call them the favorite, right? Uh, I think I think the, the division's very close at the top um, between Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Orioles mostly. Um, I, I, I'm not inclined to say that they're the favorite, though.
2: God, how could you do that? You you ESPN shill. You, you <laughs> Bristol City man. You sit there in your white towers and hate on my Orioles. Sorry, I, I fell into a thing there.
3: Well, with that, um, Dan, thank you so much. Um, Dan, uh, is there anything that you want to plug or talk about right now that's been going on? I know that you're posting
1: Posting daily. Oh, I'm, you can always find me at ESPN.com. Yep. I do weekly chats on Mondays at Fangraphs.com. You can find me at D. Zimborski on Twitter, D.S.Z., and throw in some letters in Google. We'll figure it out because <laughs> I have a ridiculous last name. No, I always, I always tell a joke that, that, that in the old country, my last name was Simmons, but someone at Ellis Island just dropped something on the typewriter and he said, just go with that, whatever. You're Zibibibibble z- z- now.
2: Well, Mr. Simmons, Next. thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it.
1: Okay, well, you guys have a good one.
2: All right, thanks, Dan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Brian Thorbaki About a thing he does Had four decent pitches And is a Southpaw Luge Luge, Luge Luge, Bucket or Brian, let's give it a chance You're a former first rounder, you can't be that bad Luge Luge, Luge 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 Luge,
1: Okay, okay.
3: watch yourself now. Jake, uh, thoughts? Yikes. Yikes? That's all you got?
2: You know, I, I picked out music for this segment, and when you removed it, I, I thought it was because you had picked the perfect song. I did. It was the perfect song.
3: It was. Okay. It was the perfect song. So many fans this offseason have been quick to write off Brian Mass as an impending trade piece or a dead man walking after the season ending. And some folks, including us, were convinced the Orioles weren't even tender in arbitration, yet Mattis is returning in the 2015 season, making $3.2 million, presumably as a loogie-loogie. We decided to invite over Zach Wilt from Baltimore Sports Report uh, to kind of set us straight on where Brian Mattis may be for the 2015 season. So, Zach, welcome to Bird's Eye View
2: once again.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
2: Uh, first of all, let me just uh, apologize for bringing you in on this segment. But um, <laughs> before we get into any more of that, let me ask you. I'm going to tell you right
3: now, Jabby cannot break it down on, like that on Baltimore Sports Today. Okay,
0: <laughs> that's true. That's definitely true. <laughs> not His even. musical skills are, uh, are are not nearly as good. I was told to be prepared on this subject, and after that, I'm just. I feel so underprepared. <laughs> so.
2: I'm just going to rock in a shower for hours after this. Um, fully clothed uh, music swelling in the yes. background. Um, anyway, Brian Mattis, you know, he, he was supposed to be the thing. you know he was a highly touted prospect, and then he was a struggling starter, and then he was a full-fledged bust. Then he was a really good reliever for a while. He, Absolutely. he really had a moment in the sun, and I feel like he's gotten away from that. The, the, um, the feeling of Birdland is that he's gotten away from that so much that you know the team went out and got a left-handed reliever in uh, Wesley Wright do you think that Mattis has a role on this team
0: um i i'm not quite sure what mattis role is on this team <laughs> i'll be honest uh yeah, i'm glad you guys throughout you know wondering whether he, he would be tendered this offseason because i was looking at that and and maybe uh you know kind of had this uh you know sort of pie in the sky hope that they'd bring back andrew miller and and non-tender Brian mattis as a result that obviously didn't happen um, I don't know looking looking at the roster I, I'm not quite sure what Brian Mass's role is on this team and uh, you know I, I know he pitched pretty well in, in September and October but uh I'm you know it's it's hard for me to, to see him as anything more than, than a guy who does pretty well against left-handed batters and you know I, as a first-round pick that's uh, that that's that's just not enough for me, and and you know we we have Nate Showalter on our show you know, pretty kind of kind of regularly every couple months or so, and and way to Wait, a name drop there, Zach.
2: Way to name drop.
0: No, I'm bringing it around. There's a point to this, thing, <laughs> but he he always seems to bring Brian Mattis up as as a guy that you know is is working on things and and still wanted to to be a starter and is, is grinding hard during the offseason. and honestly, that that kind of hearing that from somebody that's kind of connected to the Orioles surprises me because it does kind of go against what you hear elsewhere. So I know within the organization, at least, you know, in, in his mind, uh, they, they still feel pretty good about Mattis. But in looking at the roster, I, I'm just not quite sure where he fits.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Brian Mattis's numbers for the first half of last season, it was ugly. In fact, it was really ugly. His ERA was 4.68. His fifth was 524 uh, and if you look at his WOBA against, uh, you know, what he was giving up against people, he was giving up a 368 WOBA, which is, oh, it is absolutely awful. Um, You know, it, easily anybody from the minor leagues could have been doing much better than Brian Mattis was. But I'm going to spin this and I want to look at the second half. Um, and, you know, he actually was one of the better relievers there for the Baltimore Orioles. His ERA was 1.56. His FIP was one point one point seven four. Um and his woba was only two fifty five and here's an awesome stat too, his K minus walk percentage was thirty one point four percent as compared to the first half, it was only nine point three percent. So he was getting a great amount of strikeouts um, versus the amount of walks that he was doing. Um, maybe it was a command issue was the big thing between the first half and the second half, um, especially with having four pitchers too. Um, you know, I, it's a question of whether Brian Mattis, you know, just all of a sudden didn't feel comfortable in that first half
2: and. Maybe got together in the second half again. Well and i don't know zach maybe you can weigh in on whether or not it's just my perspective but did did it feel to you like he was only being used in situations in which he would be successful i.e bringing him in against the lefty the abaldo jimenez yeah. treatment right i mean i mean yeah. those numbers don't really surprise me i think my big concern with with brian mattis is yeah he's a great loogie but we're paying 3.2 million dollars for a pitcher with a limited set of skills that can only be trusted in a certain area um which you know he, he may be good at but is that really enough i mean is there something to that
0: well and i guess the other question you know could be you, you could you could flip this whole topic around and say what's wesley wright's role then you know if, if they're not concerned about brian madison and yeah i i agree jake it did sort of look like he was in kind of these roles where uh where he would succeed and the numbers i mean i'm I'm looking at the numbers too based on based on what scott was saying and, and obviously the second half is way better strike out the walk is, is way better but You know, half of seasons, too, I I worry about kind of judging a guy based on what he did in in half of a year overall.
3: No, I totally agree with you about that. Um, The one thing that we keep talking about is left-hander versus right-hander. And, you know, obviously Mattis does much better against left-handers. But I'm going to come back to that second half. And during the second half of the season last year, he had a 219 slugging percentage against left-handers, which is amazing. But Jake, against right-handed hitters, too, during that second half of the season, he had a 327 slugging percentage against right-handers. So he had equal effect, uh, efficacy versus left-handers and right-handers, which actually mirrors very similar to what he actually had also during the 2013 season, where, yes, he did come up against a lot of left-handers, but Matters was also able to pitch through entire innings as well and get right-handers out as well. Um, you know, I understand where you're coming from, Zach, and it's like, okay, we have a half a season. But again, we also have 2013 before this. So we really only have a half a season of a really bad performance in that first half in 2014.
2: And he was money in 2012. Yeah. He was absolute yeah. money outside of that one pitch to uh, to Voldemort. He, he was really good in 2012. Do you guys
0: know Brian Madison's middle name is Robert? That kind of stuck out to me. Sorry. You you are a
2: research machine. Yeah, that
0: that's, is pretty. That's pretty impressive.
2: <laughs> that's it. I'm 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 very impressed by that. We are all all
3: the impressed by that.
0: Last time I'm invited on birds. That's no, okay. <laughs> that's
3: that's the kind of insight that we want. But you know, looking at the numbers for the second half, you look at you know everyone's talking about Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller, and how good he was. But realistically. You look at Brian Mattis's numbers compared against it. Let's look at the Ks per nine. Andrew Miller had 15.3 strikeouts per nine innings. Brian Mattis had 12.32. You look at the uh, ground ball percentage. Andrew Miller had 33%. Brian Mattis had 25. ERA 1.35 versus 1.42. FIP 1.13 versus 1.87. These guys had very similar numbers. But I understand what you guys are saying. Andrew Miller came in in very high-pressure situations. So that's going to be completely different than Brian Mattis coming in and certain mop up roles and stuff like that too. But I do think it's interesting that Brian Mattis was able to correct the ship to a certain regard and not just be uh, a walking time bomb because we saw several situations like Hibaldo Jimenez coming in, in mop up situations and he couldn't do anything with those mop up situations. (laughs) So I don't think we can just say, Oh, it's mop up situations. You're going to obviously be good. You still have to throw decent pitches to get outs and Brian Mattis um, certainly, look like he returned to the reliever of old.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, uh, I would like to see it. You know, uh, obviously with a guy drafted that high, but yeah, you know, I, I do kind of look at the high leverage stats versus low leverage, and it's his lowest strikeout to walk ratio in, in high leverage situations mm-hmm. with uh, two point zero opponents hitting two fifty six in, in high leverage situations. And, um, you know, I, I think until he's kind of in some of those, you know, pressure situations, like you mentioned, you know, uh, before it, this season, I'm just not quite sure what to expect from him.
2: Well, I'm, I'm sure that both your show and ours will go into our roster projections uh, a little deeper into uh, spring training. But just off the cuff, I can't imagine that this roster, uh, this bullpen can contain uh, from the left hand side, Britain, right mattis and mcfarland i assume that the options game makes mcfarland the guy that goes to the minors um right. do you think that though that the bullpen can handle those three lefties in the in the in the pen for the entirety of the year
0: um i think a lot of that has to do with with zach Britton and, and scott wrote a great piece about britain last year uh on don't kiss after, up to him on um, the show uh, after uh <laughs> after the Orioles acquired andrew miller and You know, we're kind of wondering uh, how he fits in that role as sort of a a sinker baller, ground ball dependent type guy. You know, if he can if he can keep that role, then yeah, I think they can keep you know Britain in in the ninth. uh, Madison Wright, if he's if he gets out of the ninth, which I I do worry about. You know, we've seen a guy who depends on you know pitch to contact stuff in that role before in jim johnson and i'm not trying to say that that's going to happen with zach Britton, but you know you, you never know when you're dependent on getting your outs from from ground balls uh if he's out of the ninth and i don't see how they could have those three guys in the pin with one of them not closing out games
3: yeah i mean the situation is i mean the, the bullpen obviously can have three lefties in it we'd had it last year we had it with mattis miller and Britton. it's just a question of Two of those guys have to be extremely effective in Britain and, you know, whoever your other lefty is. So is it going to be Wesley Wright or is it going to be Brian Mattis as being that effective against both left-handed and right-handed hitters? If one of them can be effective against left-handed and right-handed hitters, Buck is going to be able to go to him and be like, I'm going to use him. Because that way, if someone pinch hits at a later inning, I can always bring in another lefty in order to face him as well, which Buck has commented in the past saying, you know, I really wasn't sure if I could bring Britain uh, bring Madison at this situation because I was afraid of what they were going to do two or three batters from now as well. Um, so I think having that additional vers- uh, 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 that versatility in the re- bullpen is something that Buck is going to use. Personally, Jake, I think McFarlane goes down to Norfolk. I think McFarlane is one person they're going to look at to try to build into a starter for 2016.
2: Yeah, I mean I don't, I don't want to go too far down this road. I I really like McFarland. A lot of people crap on that guy. I think he is Me. A, a lot. <laughs> I think he brings a lot of value to a roster. I think he's a very versatile guy. He can give you spot starts. He can be good against lefties and righties. You know, he can give you spot starts too, Miguel Gonzalez out of the bullpen. He can give you uh he can give you left, he can give you right, he can give you depth whatever you need, but I don't think he's a starter in this league. Um Zach, we we uh you know, we picked your brain. Uh, about Brian Mattis, but uh, I got I got two tough questions for you before uh, wow. I, I ask you a little bit about Baltimore Sports Report. Um, first question, we always ask our guests, and Scott and I have already revealed ours, what is your drink of this week?
0: Well, guys, I had a few people over uh, for the Super Bowl and bought, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 times more beer than I probably should have for those few people that came over. So I am working my way through... A lot of yingling and natty bow cans. So that's what uh, my drink of the week is for this week. Okay. Stockpiling for nice. the winter. I like nice. it. Yeah.
2: All right. Next question. This is this is the money shot right here. Uh Zach Wilt, the pressure is on. Beatles or Stones?
0: Oh Beatles. Sure. All right, you, okay. pass you pass the
2: test. Pass the test. We can continue
0: to work for
3: you.
2: All right, well, what's what's it's going on I in uh, the Baltimore? Answer
0: for you guys. Yes, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> you can play with the judge. That's fine. We're fine with that. Uh, what, uh, I love the Beatles. What's going on with a uh, Baltimore Sports Report and the uh, and the podcast this week?
0: Well, we uh, have Steve Molesky on BSR podcast this week, so uh, we're going to be talking about. Uh, all kinds of Orioles drama that Jab wants to stir up with uh, Dan Duquette and Adam Jones' mysterious tweets in the middle of Saturday afternoon. That doesn't and, sound uh, like Jab prospect, at all. So. Yeah.
3: Yeah, ask, ask Molesky how he rated Daryl Avarez as uh, the number five prospect in uh, in baseball America. I'd like to hear his answer behind that.
0: I will write that in our rundown right now.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right well zach thank you so much for the uh for the wit and wisdom we appreciate it and we of course encourage everybody to run over to baltimore sports report check out the bsr podcast check out baltimore sports today and uh hey written content over there at baltimore sports report please check it out zach thanks a
0: lot hey thank you guys
2: All right, Scott, I think it's about time we blow the save. What do you think? Let's go for it. Why don't you go ahead and take it this week, Jake? Uh, well, my wife is going to a work conference in April in the great city of Boston. and What? Sarah and I have always wanted to spend a long weekend in Beantown. Do, what? Do, do the full touristy thing. You know I'm a big history buff. I know you're a history buff, but really? Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've, I've always wanted to do that. She she asked me to come up and join her for the weekend because the Orioles are in town, and she would like to see not one, but two games in historic fenway park prepare be prepared for disappointment well here's the thing I, i've i've heard that now i've i've only been to two opposing stadiums in my life and and both were in the district of columbia which hardly counts as a quote-unquote away game no uh but i told myself that that's I w- mass and territory right there. I would not travel with this team until they weren't a complete embarrassment and that time may have arrived so uh you know My dear wife does not share my concerns about getting tickets to not one, but two Two. Red Sox games in April when hope still springs (laughs) eternal and there's not been sufficient time for Pink Hat Nation to uh, jump off the bandwagon. So let me ask you this. How bad do you think uh, prices are going to be to get two sets of games worth of tickets at Fenway? Pretty bad. I think so, too. Pretty
3: bad. I think it's probably going to cost you pretty much about as much as airfare is going to cost you to get up there. Yikes. Yeah. Not to mention it's a weekend, right? Yeah, in April. Yeah, isn't that the Boston Marathon weekend? I don't believe so. Okay, I just want to make sure that it wasn't that weekend. If it is, you're you're doomed.
2: <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. Yeah, wouldn't happen. You you say I'm going to be disappointed by Fenway?
3: I I, I was extremely disappointed with Fenway um, when I went, and uh, I think part of it has to do with I couldn't fit in the seats, so not being able to be comfortable while watching a baseball game, not a big fan of. So. Um, Best of luck to you. I think it's a great experience for you to get out and uh, see other stadiums, especially Fenway with all the history that it is. But I think you're going to come home with a greater appreciation for, again, how amazing Camden Yards is as a stadium in major league baseball.
2: Well, it hasn't happened yet. I don't have the tickets in hand yet. If I do, I will be sure to, uh, to share my experiences. If not, I will just rage against the machine of how, how expensive, uh, Fenway tickets are. All right. Well, um,
3: You enjoy your trip to Boston, I guess. Um, But, um, yeah, there's, you know, not much going on. Again, we've got less than two weeks to go before uh, pitchers and catchers report on February 19th. So just kind of twiddle the thumbs and we'll go from there. Hopefully Adam Jones posts something weird on Twitter again so that we can dissect that. I'm just
2: glad that the players are signing outside of the AL East. I'm not particularly scared of of James Shields, but I'm glad that he we don't have to deal with them i don't i don't want to have to deal with that yeah it's, that's good we'll see if
3: there's any trades that are coming down the pike too with the yankees or the red sox wanting to get somebody so jake
2: yeah. i'm i'm done i got nothing left baltimore and beyond i bid you a fond adieu adieu
3: good night baltimore be safe out there and let's go o's